0: Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Mount Air, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/missio Mount Air. I'll invite you to open your Bibles now, though, to Matthew chapter 6. As Jim has said, we are continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're in this next section on uh, religious observances, uh, practicing your righteousness of the alms giving, prayers, and of fasting. And Jesus himself, I mean, you might think, well, we did like, we might have done two weeks on the almsgiving. No, we did just one. But we're like four weeks and stuck in the section on prayer. Well, Jesus himself uh, expounds more in this section than he does on the other two, and so even though uh, we're finishing up the Lord's Prayer, Jim will still be in this section uh, even next week, and then we'll head on into fasting in a couple of weeks. So this morning, we're looking at more of the content of what is typically called the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 through 13 is where we'll be giving our focus, but we'll just go ahead and read all of 9 through 13. So this is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Maybe I'll just get out of the way. Uh, Those of you who have memorized the Lord's Prayer, you might read that and think, well, we didn't finish the prayer, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what happened there, just briefly, there's no need for a long explanation, that in the time of Jesus, the Jewish practice is that you would put a doxology at the end of all of your prayers, kind of in the same way, but it's said almost too tritely sometimes. But we'll say, you know, pray in Jesus' name, Amen. And it lets everybody know this is when you're kind of ending your prayer. Uh, actually, Jesus tells us to pray in His name, is why we do that. But it's it's a fitting end. It's a doxological end that would have been common in the early church. We know that when they prayed this Lord's prayer, they would, in their writings, they would say they would write out the Lord's prayer and they would include a doxology. Of for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. So, if that if that was a question in your mind, I just wanted to get that out of your way. That's that's for free, uh, and then we're moving on. So, but you know, some activities, the um, the more complex you make them, the worse they become, right? Like we went out this week to the driving range. Uh, Joel wanted to go practice golf. We have not golfed much as a family. I golfed as a kid, but don't really golf anymore. But we have clubs and so he we went out to the golf course and tried to hit some golf balls and as we're sitting there watching and just kind of goofing around i found myself think, you know wondering how do i best help uh, my, you know, my nine-year-old boy who's never really golfed much how do i best help him golf or my six-year-old daughter how do i help her with her golf swing and in my head are you know all sorts of you know algebraic functions and equations and I'm, you know computing like all of these ways to make their swing better and and realizing that there are there are thousands of ways to make by 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 making the swing more complex than just swinging and hitting the ball and making contact there there's some there's there's um, some truth to, to the, just the thought that what has to happen first is you have to learn to make contact, and then you can kind of adjust things from there. But if you went into someone with a golf swing, and you taught them a a thousand great tips for swinging and hitting a golf ball, and they followed every one of them, but they missed the golf ball, you've kind of ruined, you've kind of wasted your time, right? Like the worst thing that happened to me in my, you guys don't care about my golf game, but and I don't have a golf game, but anyway, the illustration works for me. The worst thing that ever happened to my golf game was getting a a subscription to Golf Digest, because I got the thing out and started reading all of the tips and tricks to make my game better. And so suddenly I'm in front of the, I'm I'm at the golf course in front of the ball, and I'm thinking of ten thousand different things I should be doing, and it's messing up. It's just it's messing up my whole swing. So it, if you can't hit the ball, there is no way for us to ever be able to make it better. But just like in golf practice where making contact is the key, if you can't do that, you're doing nothing. It's far better to have terrible form and just make contact, right, and get the ball advancing somewhere. It's far better just to make contact. In the same way, your prayer life will not be well served with stacks of theological positions and convictions, ideas and thoughts and theories about how prayer works if you never just simply make contact, that is, if you just simply don't pray. Like, there's a, there's a burden that formed in my heart as I was thinking on the Lord's Prayer and teaching on it in these six petitions, and there's, there's so much theological weight to these petitions, That just what Jesus is going through, he's an incredible teacher. And you can really dig into the commentaries and talk about all the do your word studies and all these interesting things to try to dig into the theological ramifications of something like the Lord's Prayer. But if we as a church body just add to our shelf all of these interesting ideas about the Lord's Prayer and it doesn't actually drive us to pray, we've been poorly served. We've missed the whole point. That is like reading every episode or every edition of Golf Digest and getting out there and never being able to actually just hit the ball and further it down the the course. Your prayer life will not be well served with stacks of theological positions and convictions if you don't pray. And this is what makes Jesus a great teacher. It really is incredible. And that's one of the points we'll get to at the end uh, in a year or two, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When we get to the end of it, they are astonished at Jesus' teaching because he teaches with such authority and such clarity and so concisely. They're amazed at how Jesus teaches. It's incredible when you think about it. In, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, there's a, a, a parallel teaching of Jesus on the Lord's Prayer. And in that one, the disciples actually ask the question. They say, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus is in response. that they, His people want to know, how should we pray? And I know that we know, because we've been studying it and you've all been, lots of you, those of you who have been in church have been reciting the Lord's Prayer for a long time, or you've certainly read this if you've been in your Bible at all, around church uh, culture at all, you know how Jesus answers this. But if you could forget the response Jesus gave for just a minute, try hard to suspend your brain and, and not think about how Jesus answered and just consider the Lord of the universe has been approached by his disciples and has been asked, how should I pray? What should I pray what do you think the Lord of the universe would instruct his followers and consequently all of us to do for the rest of the church age? Here's his chance. Teach on prayer. What is he going to say? And I, I, I bring all that up because I'm not the Lord of the universe, and I'm not, I mean, we're trying to communicate truth here. But if you came to me and said, Darren, teach me to pray, I'd probably start lining up an 8 to 12-week course and assign you 10 or 12 books to read, and, you know, memorize a few psalms, all of this stuff to teach you to pray. Jesus gives a 30-second prayer, and it is profound, and it is huge. Its implications just absolutely spread out, but he's such a good teacher. He lays out an outline that has huge ramifications he gives us six basic petitions to work through and guiding us in our praying. And they're all superb. But my main point, what I, what I want to really drive home, what I want you to walk away with this morning, if nothing else, is that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray because he wants them to pray. Like, I mean, and I, like, wow, that's revolutionary, Darren, thank you. I'm so glad I came to church, but I want to drive that point home. The reason why he teaches his disciples to pray, he wants them to pray. He wants them to to seek him. He wants them to lift up these petitions, but he wants them to have communion. One of our our primary discipleship outcome, right? Communion with God. God wants his people to commune with him. He wants your prayers. He wants you to pray. Two weeks ago, Jim goes through kind of the negative effects of this, right? Of Jesus, when he's asked on how to pray, and when he's teaching on pray, he gives the negative examples. Don't just be loud so that people can hear you and be impressed. And don't carry on with long prayers just so people will be impressed. That's when all of you kind of point to like us occasionally like, don't don't babble on and babble on don't be long to be impressive it's a it's a matter of the heart Jesus is saying you know your father who sees in secret uh, will reward you if instead of being loud and long and impressive in your prayers you just simply uh, appeal to him from the heart that's what is meant by the going in the secret place it is a way of you're communing with God on your own not to impress others you're, you're, you're to be genuine and heartfelt in your prayers. They're to be done genuinely and heartfeltly. But then last week we looked at the first three petitions, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's all this direction, this Godward direction to the prayer. That God, when you have need and you come to him, you begin with adoration. God, more than I want even this need that I'm bringing before you, I want your name to be hallowed. I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come on this earth as it is in heaven. The opening of the prayer, like if you look at these negative petitions and then look at the opening of the prayer, it's its own antidote to hypocrisy. Because you immediately are coming into the... If you want to come into prayer to impress people or to like you know, be impressive or be something immediately your first appeal is that, God, you would be seen as something. <laughs> the first appeal is, God, I am, I am not to be hallowed, and I'm not the one that is to be impressive. I'm not the one that is to be worshipped and honored. God, may you be hallowed over all things. If you begin to pray with a misguided view of God as some great big pinata in the sky, and we've got our prayer stick that we hit to get what we want, you'll be really misguided that is not where jesus starts our prayers if you'll be rebuked by this prayer if you begin to pray uh, as someone uh, to god who's someone who brings you all the comforts that you might think you need well then we get into our text for this morning where jesus is going to talk about the praying for our the needs of our daily bread that takes us into this second sort of table, kind of two tables, Godward in our prayer and then horizontal in our prayer. God, an appeal to you that you would be hallowed, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. And then, like, and then going on in the prayer, and God, here's, here are my petitions. Here is what I need. So, just quickly through these petitions, um, they're, they're, they're powerful, they're meaningful, they're easy to extrapolate upon for your own life. The prayer that God would give us this day, our daily bread, the prayer is not for God, give me the things that I want, necessarily. The daily bread would be the the basic needs that you have, that God would, would, would provide for you with the things that you need. It is not a prayer to get the things, necessarily all the things that you want, but it is a prayer to pray for the things that you need. It's not a request for an abundance of wealth or bread, but to give us all that we need. It's a request to have provided for yourself enough to meet the needs of the day. God, I, I, this prayer, I mean, is, this is the one aspect where you can look at this and say, this is a prayer Jesus kind of expected us to pray every day. Like, do we pray the Lord? How often should we pray the Lord's prayer? Well, Jesus seems to say that if you want the, your daily bread, maybe you should appeal to God for it. Well, Every day at a minimum. Give us this day our daily bread. He prays that we would, uh, that God would forgive us our debts is this fifth petition. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Now next week you can look down and see in verses 14 and 15 Jesus extrapolates or he exposits that prayer on his own really. So we're going to spend some time next week just digging into that whole petition. But the reality of uh, Jesus admitting that As citizens of the kingdom, our prayers include the request for forgiveness. There is an admittance of, God, I have fallen short. I have failed. I have sinned. Rebellion, the old man still lurks in me. And my my primary needs are to be forgiven. Forgive me. And then recognizing then also that I have a need to forgive those who have sinned. Against me, that's the idea of debts. It's a death, it's a sin, it's a transgression, uh, some translations would say. So we're praying for our daily bread. We're praying for forgiveness as we forgive those around us. And we're praying for deliverance from temptation. We find this continued acknowledgement of our need for the guidance of God in our lives. There is an enemy that is against us and has designs to ruin us. To ruin you. There is an enemy. He has designs against us. And this prayer acknowledges that if God does not come to our aid, we are in serious trouble. It is an appeal that here's all the, God, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And God, in my life, I have all of these things. I have all these needs in front of me. I have the need for my daily bread. I have the need for the forgiveness of my sins. And I have the need of, there's constantly the, all the voices around me and the enemy himself tempting me to walk away from you. And in all these horizontal needs, what I need more than anything is for you to help me. Prayer in and of itself is is a very humbling act because you're confessing, I don't have what is in me to to accomplish what I want to accomplish. I need help from outside of myself. Pride is is often, many times, one of the main barriers to prayer. A proud person does not pray because they believe they've got all they need in and of themselves. But the person who's been humbled and realizes how much need they have is turning to God in prayer. Jesus teaches us to make our appeal to a power outside of ourselves, to a power that is far greater than ourselves for our help against him. That was flying through the petitions. And this is what I'm saying where we could, we could break this prayer down into six weeks of each petition. But all of this, this outline that Jesus really gives us, if it doesn't serve the purpose, if it only serves the purpose to confuse you and build your theological library, and it doesn't just give you an outline to which to actually pray, then we are, we are not doing our job. So these petitions, if we walk away from this section this morning, without a strong conviction to pray and simple instruction on what to pray, then we have missed the point of this section. If, you know what I'm saying? I, I just, Jesus, in this simple petition, The I, I think it seems clear to me from the text, his heartbeat is just to get his people praying. And here's a general outline that God would be adored, that your sins would be confessed, that your requests would, would be made to him is a general outline that Jesus wants his disciples to pray don't lose sight of this by digging so far into the theological implications from these petitions don't abstractly consider these petitions without it leading us to prayer this is the teaching of Jesus for his disciples to pray it has the implications firstly that we ought to pray because Prayer is a, I almost said a weapon, Which it, it, prayer is this tool that, that God has made available to his people, that they can make their appeal to the almighty of the universe, and that he actually wants to hear our prayers. I mean, it's, 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 it's astonishing to really consider that Jesus doesn't just say, Lord, teach us to pray. You know what? God knows it all. He's got it all figured out. He's going to accomplish it all. Don't bother. (laughs) It's under control. He doesn't say that, right? He says, here's how you pray. Here is how you make your appeal to God. It is not some high, super eloquent, long-winded prayer. I think I've heard from so many people that it is intimidating to pray because you're afraid you won't do it right. Jesus' prayer is, I mean, is it 30 seconds even of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I could go through it, but it's, it's a simple appeal to your Father. He lays out for us a simple, God-centered, kingdom-focused, needs-recognizing prayer. Spurgeon says it this way. He says, it's, it's very pleasing to a father as those of you who are parents can testify, to see his child in full sympathy with him and anxious to help him in his work, though he, the child, can do but little. And that little, feebly and faultily, yet his eagerness to work with his father and for his father gives his father joy. (laughs) That God is, is actually pleased to hear your prayers. Though he does not need our prayers necessarily to do anything, there is this view of this father looking down at his child who is eager to join him in hallowing his name and seeing his kingdom advance and seeking him for their needs to be met. There's a joy of a father who is glad, when, or a parent, when a kid comes to them and says, I have this need, can you meet it? And then the parent is like, yeah, I can take care of that. And is able to meet it. It brings great pleasure to the father. Spurgeon goes on, even thus does our heavenly father take pleasure in us and in our desires for his glory. Prayer is less something that we do than it is a recognition Of our need for something to be done for us God I need you father we want to see your glory manifested in Ringgold County we want to see your name hallowed above all and we cannot accomplish it father do that work through us God we have scores of needs among us that we cannot fulfill that we can't meet God meet our daily needs Father, we have temptations that are coming at us from every angle. We have a thousand desires, passions that pull us in all these different directions. And God, we feel, uh, like the Come Thou Fount says in its last verse, prone to wander, Lord, to wander, like to walk away. Prone to walk away, Lord, I feel it. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Prayer is less something that we do than it is a recognition of our need for something to be done for us. It is not something we use to fatten our great Christian resume. It's something we run to because we recognize how thin our Christian resume really is. Jesus, I need you. We pray because God is glorious. He is righteous and perfect. He's worthy of our praise and adoration. We pray because we are needy and we pray because he cares. Just quickly, a couple of passages. You can, if you got your Bible, you can open up also to Exodus chapter 2. And you're like, I don't know why we're... Exodus, I would not normally go here for a sermon on prayer. Uh, but I suppose a person could. Because this is the, the um, crying out of God's people to him in their bondage and slavery. Remember the whole story of Genesis? Joseph is sold into slavery into Potiphar's house. And then he gets thrown in prison. And then he rises through the famine and his interpretation of the dreams, to be second as Pharaoh, gathers all the grain, famine hits the land, and eventually Israel, Joseph's family, then moves down to Egypt to be saved. It's an incredible story at the end of Genesis, right? But Joseph and all of his, uh, all the prosperity and all the good things that happened in bringing the family down, Pharaoh forgets Joseph. He forgets the, the good that Joseph had, had, had wrought, and begins to begins to enslave the Israelites. So in Exodus chapter two, verse twenty-three, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, slavery, and cried out for help. The cry, their cry for rescue and slavery, from slavery, came up to God, and God heard their groaning. The transcendent Lord of the universe who needs nothing doesn't have, is entirely independent from us, doesn't need to be concerned with us at all, doesn't need to give an ear to any anyone at all. These people are stuck in hard times, in slavery, in bondage. They are suffering and they cry out. And guess what? God hears the cries of his people. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Why would we pray? Because God knows, and God cares for you. Like, there's this, there's just this simple burden I want to push out into us as his people. To seek his face, to look for him, to to seek his adoration, his hallowing of his name, to seeking his will to be done, to asking him for, God, here's my needs. Here's what I need to have happen. Here's my need for daily bread. Here's my need for forgiveness through the work of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Here's my need, God, to be delivered from these temptations because God is a God who hears and understands. He's a God who cares for his people. And you say, well, okay, Darren, but... That literally, the, the, um, the future of God's redemptive purposes hang on the balance of the children of Israel being delivered out of Egypt. That's a pretty important prayer. So, of course, God hears that. But honestly, Southwest Iowa and Missio Church and my family and my little small uh, nothing life, it is not the children of Israel stuck in Egypt. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get that God cares about that. But what about, what about us? Well, turn with me, Matthew 19 read a little kid's book on prayer just last night, as a matter of fact, that brought up this passage in regards to prayer. Matthew 19, verse 13. Then children were brought to him, this is speaking about Jesus, children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray, but the disciples, those who thought they knew better, Jesus is doing important work. <laughs> uh, you know, well, you, want, you, want, you want these kids who have small needs. They've got snotty noses and dirty hair and they're making odd noises and whatever. These kids, these, the, their needs, they need to be kind of pushed to the side. Don't let, we don't want Jesus to care about, he to, sur, surely he's not gonna care about these insignificant ones. The disciples rebuked the people, take the kids away. But Jesus said, verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he went away. We have a Savior who cares. Yes, to finish his global purposes in redemptive history for the furthering of the gospel throughout all the nations to the end of the earth that we culminate singing around the the, the great white throne, singing around the the altar, praising holy, holy, holy until that day when every tribe and tongue and nation is gathered around and worship, worship of him. Yes, but... We also see that is through the culmination of a thousand tiny cares, a thousand small cares like these of letting even the people in Missio Church and Mount Air, Iowa and their little small families and their individual certain circumstances, letting them come to him because he cares, he hears, he understands, and he delights in hearing the prayers of his people. Because through Jesus Christ, why do we pray? Through Christ and his reconciling work for us, right? If you're here this morning and you've turned from your sins, repenting of, of your transgression, your rebellion, your enmity and hatred towards him, trusting in Christ for his sacrificial death in your place, thereby washing you free from your sins and reconciling you to God, he is now your father in heaven. And he cares for you and he longs to hear your prayers. So then pray to him. And there are so many ways to go about this. It's incredibly helpful to see the Lord's prayer there in Matthew 6 as an outline that you can simply pray through. There are tons of tools. I wanted to get practical, and we're out of time already. However you go about it, be sure to that opening illustration, (laughs) it is not about all the equations and the right ways and all these great approaches, I would rather have you with terrible form, stuttering all along the way, saying all sorts of silly things that would sound terrible in polite society or whatever, like in the, in the, in the academy. Oh, I can't believe they pray like that. If you are praying to your father, it's, that's the right way to do it. He's a God who cares. We'll work on the, like I, I, people get all caught up in I, uh, about praying Trinitarian theology. And getting upset about, you know, God, I'm so thankful, praying to the Father. Thankfully, you died on the cross for your sins. Like, no, 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 Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Not God the Father, yes. But you know what? I, I didn't check with this, this with Jim, because I want you to pray correctly, Trinitarian. But I'd rather have you pray a little iffy and then not pray at all, because you're afraid you're going to get it wrong. Your Father cares, loves you. He wants to hear from you. Seek his face, so many ways, <laughs> to to set an alarm to pray at certain times. Make a make a habit stacking principle. People pray at meals, and you look at them sometimes like, oh my gosh, he's one of those people that pray at a meal when they're out at lunch or whatever. But there's something about stacking a habit. Every time I'm going to do one thing, I'm going to soak it in prayer. When I get up and brush my teeth, I'm going to be praying. When, I'm doing, when I get up in the morning, first thing I do is I would kneel by the bed, or last thing I do in the night is kneel by the bed as like get in and out. Whatever it may be, make, a natural, make prayer a natural rhythm of your life. Get a prayer partner. If you have a spouse who loves Jesus, congratulations. You have a live-in prayer partner. Make good on it. If you don't, look around and find someone. Will you hold me accountable? I'm going to call you every week. Let's pray together. Let's pray through the Lord's Prayer. Pray through these petitions together. Whatever it might be, use a prayer journal. Darla uses prayer cards, a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I can't recommend it any more highly on prayer. There's just all sorts of, and he talks about prayer cards. Um, There are all sorts of ways to go about this. Join in corporate prayer time when we're praying in here on a Sunday morning and this is not this is not for those of us who have kids and we're trying to like get them to settle down but for those of you who aren't trying to to like get control of a small kid are you actually praying like like focusing your thoughts upon him honestly pray in times of corporate prayer really pray when you're invited to pray so the heartbeat here is that we would be people who would pray if you get nothing else, walk away with that using the Lord's Prayer, whatever you want to, as an outline to pray your God, your Father in Heaven cares for you. He wants to hear from you. So I'm going to lead us as we close. Uh, get ready. Well, we got communion going on. I'll, I'll, I'll close this in prayer. Uh, Father, we are grateful for the atoning work of your Son that reconciles us to you, that makes us no longer strangers hostiles no longer enemies of you but through his redeeming work we have been forgiven of our transgressions made righteous in your sight brought into fellowship with you and because of that we now pray to you as our father i thank you that when jesus walked the earth and was asked about prayer he didn't overcomplicate it He didn't even spend 30 minutes on it like I have here this morning. He just said, pray, our Father who art in heaven, God, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. God, may your will be done, not ours. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, have your way. Give us our daily bread, God. We have scores of needs in this congregation, and we ask God for your help. Father, we pray you would forgive us of our sins, even as we forgive those who sin against us, as we get ready to come to communion, especially, Father, those things that we have in our heart through the past week or whatever it may have been, sins that we have committed, sin that we harbor in our heart, that we protect, God grant repentance that we might turn from it. We might find forgiveness through the gospel. And God, forgive us even as we forgive those who sinned against us. And God, protect us, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one and his plans for us. That God, you will be glorified in our lives and in this fellowship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.